Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let's let the healing begin. God help you if you use voiceover in your work, my friends. God help you. It's flaccid, sloppy writing. I don't want you to be the guy in the PG-13 movie. Everyone's really hoping makes it happen. I want you to be like the guy in the rated R movie, you know? The guy you're not sure whether or not you like yet. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. This is episode 130-something, am I right, Chapin? At least. Yeah, so we're moving right along. It seems like only yesterday we were doing episode 100. Uh, Today, I am joined by one Chapin Hemingway and one Jeremy Fisk, and I am Lee Carlo. Jeremy's back, so that's good to hear. I mean, Brantley did a really good job in your absence, so... This is Brantley, you should think Brantley of this as a bit of an audition. number five picks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Good point. Um, but you like you should think of this as a an audition, Jeremy. Um, gotcha. Okay. We're auditioning our our third our third chairs here. Uh, but today we are going to continue our look back at the possible best movie year in history 1999 with michael mann's the insider uh and then finally we're gonna have a little fun with the top five this week it, we're calling it our top five which performance was better uh and we'll explain that in more detail when we get to it they're afraid of you aren't they they should be the following is a sneak preview of the best reviewed film of the year an insider ready to speak the truth and i want to go on the record a reporter who will help him reveal it. What does this guy have to say that threatens these people? Together, I was told... Don't talk! Who is this? They will risk everything. Because where there's smoke, there's fire. Al Pacino. He's only the key witness in the biggest public issue in history. Does he go on television and tell the truth? Yes. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. Why? Because the more truth he tells, the worse it gets. Russell Crowe. I have to put my family's welfare on the line. My girls are crying. My children need me. You wish you hadn't come forward? You wish you hadn't blown the whistle? The movie critics call deeply moving. I fought for you and I still fight! A powerful edge-of-your-seat thriller. It will pin you to your seat. The best film of the year. Nominated for five Golden Globes. You go public, nothing will ever be the same again. There's Dad on TV. The Insider. A Michael Mann film. We are doing another movie from 1999. One that I think all of us have always held in very high regard. Um, So to kick things off, I I have a couple questions. Uh, We'll get to one of them a little later on, but... uh, first, as we often do, I, I kind of want to paint a picture for you guys about the first time I saw The Insider. Um, so it's probably sometime between 2002, 2003, 2004, somewhere in that range. Um, end of high school, beginning of college was probably the first time I saw it. Um, if you can imagine, I'm in my parents' basement, I'm sitting on the couch that I picked up off the side of the road. Um, I've probably got a big kind of a styrofoam container of Chinese food that I used to get at this buffet that you just pay for takeout oh, by the pound. Jesus Christ, this, this, this is, is getting this really is dark. This yeah, is very no, 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 bad. it's not, it's, it's not, it's not wonderful, but it gets better. Hang on. Now, imagine 
I open up that beautiful red envelope and slide the Netflix sleeve out. Now you're starting to feel the juices flow. A little bit, yeah. Got the barcode on the top. The movie says the insider with the with the little plot summary below. <laughs> the barcode says inside man, and you curse <laughs> Netflix. <laughs> yep. Uh, so I take out the disc. I put it into my five-disc changer DVD player. Oh, wow. Fancy. showing off. And Jesus. for the next two hours and 37 minutes, um, I spend watching, for the first time, The Insider. Um, movie ends probably without moving. I then change discs and watch my next movie for the night. So these were amazing times, as you can understand. Um, and the reason I want to go through this with such detail is because I, I kind of very vividly remember my reaction to the, seeing this movie for the first time. I was unfamiliar with Michael Mann. Uh, I didn't hadn't seen any of his other movies to that point. I didn't know him uh, as kind of that director with a very distinct style, as a great action director. All I kind of knew was what I had just watched, which was this really incredibly captivating drama. And I remember thinking that, like, okay, um, Michael Mann and his co-writer Eric Roth, they mu- must have... You know, they must have a background in investigative journalism or something along those lines, because I I was so captivated by this story that they told. Uh, And now when I watch it, still, I'm I'm a bit reminded of um, screenwriters like Aaron Sorkin or even movies like Network or 12 Angry Men, um, movies that are a little bit more telling, not showing. And I know that's something that we criticize very often, but... um, in, in, in many cases, it can work. Um, now, we're going to spend probably a good amount of time talking about Michael Mann's style, especially in this movie. He does a lot of things stylistically that are important to talk about. But let's table that for uh, a bit. And, um, Jeremy, I want to send this question to you first because I know that story and structure is very pivotal for you. So, uh, again, keeping uh, putting aside kind of the technical aspects of this movie – when a movie, when or when is or or is it possible for a movie to just be well written enough that you can just tell a story, quote unquote, tell a story, uh, in, uh, taking the showing aspect out of it? Well, I think the advantage of and why it works so well in this movie is because of the careers that are being focused on. Like it, it's there's part of you that's just really satisfied to watch somebody uh al pacino's character lowell bergman be fucking good at his job you know and it's like in order to accomplish that you yes you have to sort of like you, you have to tell not show but it's okay because that's part of what his job is like whenever he's on the phone or whenever he's the whenever he's explaining the stakes, you're not like, oh, he's explaining it to the audience. You get it because it's part of his job as a producer for 60 minutes to be able to have those conversations with other people within the story. So it never takes you out of it or you, you, you never even really think, oh, well, this is a way that uh, the screenwriter and Michael Mann are just sort of... Uh, giving us exposition because it is an exposition it is this guy who's fantastic at what he does who's a morally good guy trying to get it right and part of that job as a producer for 60 minutes is to be able to have these conversations with other characters to move the plot along so it never takes you out of the movie So do you think that, so with keeping that argument in mind, then 
for for a movie to be able to quote unquote tell us a story and for it to work does do we need to have characters that are you know kind of required to be telling people things throughout like the the movie that came to mind like what my first reaction was like okay well as long as it's an inter- interesting enough story then they can just tell it to us like i thought about the scene i thought i thought of this question when i was watching the scene um kind of early on in the movie where they're talking about you know what they're up against against big tobacco and you know they they kind of give this analogy about if ford has five trucks blow up you know they're going to get sued into oblivion and never exist but mm-hmm. you know hundreds of thousands of people die from an illness directly related to cigarettes every single year but big tobacco has never lost a, a lawsuit because they spend you to death they've got so many lawyers and i was like that's really interesting that's a that's a really well written scene you know but it is sort of expository so why is that working when a movie like, and this is the one that came to mind, The Imitation Game, uh, if you guys remember that movie with Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, Jeremy, you're working with uh, Morton Tilden right now, uh, director of that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that was That's an incredibly interesting story, but that movie was not good. So what's the difference? Where is, do we need just like it because we have characters that are talking because that's their job and they need to tell people what to do or what's next? Or is there something more to it? I mean, I think that that's that part of it is just the writing so good, the dialogue so good, and it is the fact that these characters need to have these conversations with each other in order to get what they need accomplished. And I, I think that's a big part of it. And and the acting also, the acting, yeah, that's another phenomenal. big piece. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know that's part of it. Chapin, you got any thoughts? I think he, what's great about this what what I think the answer to your question is is that they capture in a very real way both in his his directing Michael Mann's directing and with with his writing with Eric Roth is like a real I don't know that you know I think that you know realism would be a, would be a good word but it just it feels authentic you know um, I, I never thought with the Imitation Game which I think is an apt comparison here I never thought that like. <laughs> I think with the distance uh, in time from that film and that it was set in the 40s, um, you felt there was a little bit of distance between us and those characters. But this film feels very immediate and you feel like you're in the trenches with those CBS reporters and that these conversations took place and they um, a lot of them are real people. A lot of them are real people that we that we know, like Mike Wallace is somebody that, uh, you know, most Americans are familiar with. And. It's interesting to see the backroom conversations where these things take place. And, you know, you're saying tell and not show. I mean, I think that you can you can you can expand show and not tell, I think, beyond just uh, visuals versus dialogue. I mean, to me, Michael Mann is showing and not telling. He's he's not giving us like a, a play by play of how this lawsuit or these interviews or how everything happened. It's more of a. Um, here are like the here are the specifics of how these things happen. Here are these backroom conversations. Here is how Lowell Bergman, you know, get, uh, acquires a source and develops a story, and how you know journalism um, on a scale like this works. And so I think that is showing and not telling. I think he's just doing it. I mean, the, you know, you can only do so much, um, you know, visually with a. Uh, 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 um, a, a profession that is, you know, mostly, you know, speaking with people. Yeah, that's a good point. I think something that allows this movie to continue to be so good is that we're getting this 
inside look at the the back rooms, as you call them, because you mentioned how the imitation game is is you know set in the forties and is not as relevant so to speak but neither is the subject matter of this movie if you think about it like this movie could very easily have become outdated i mean this is about um 60 minutes which is not nearly as important as it was in 1990 did this movie takes place in 94 or 96 or somewhere yeah, it's, in that, it's like that yeah range. it's right around the um, um the unabomber so like 90 yeah yeah so you know that's totally not as as important as far as you know your your news outlet anymore no, like tv no. news producers is and, and obviously cigarettes are not as powerful big tobacco well, is not as powerful as they used because to be. of this right story. well right so i guess what i'm saying is that there is a i think that those and we've talked a little bit about this in 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 the perspective with the perspective of or in the context of biopics like when when you know when i think period films when they're done poorly have the disadvantage of being distant from us i mean people spoke differently in those times not that there hasn't been a change in parlance since 1999 and the 20 years since this movie came out or the 25 or six years since these events happened but there we're, we're a little closer to it but i don't think that's relevant what i think is relevant is what i just said is that like you know we're not told lowell bergman is a good man you know no one says Lowell. I mean, there there are points when, when when we understand what his colleagues understand him to be, which is that he's like a First Amendment advocate and kind of a, a revolutionary thinker and had these influences. But they're all things that you would realistically, you know, hear in conversation or when he first introduced himself to Jeffrey Wigan, we understand that Wigan has done research on him and understand that, you know, in, in, in wanting to understand where uh, Lowell Bergman is and if he can trust this guy, Wygan did some research and so you you have these things about him. But what we what we really under why we really understand that Lowell Bergman is a good man is by his actions in this film. He defends his source. He puts himself out on the line and eventually quits, you know, uh, you know, over principle essentially. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think like this it's not about the story Lee. So even if it doesn't hold up um, entirely it's really about the characters and watching them go through this situation and also being sort of in awe of their their circumstances and professionalism um, and in watching that is what I I find ultimately uh, intriguing about this movie and it's not really about uh, big tobacco or 60 minutes or news journalism um, those are just sort of the backdrops to these uh, these characters and what they're going through. It's about you know, normal not, people under enormous pressure. They, exactly. What he exactly. says to uh, Mike Wallace. It says exactly. Kruger. And I, I mean, even that being said, there's definitely times I, I thought like hey, if the if the internet was what it was now, like this would be a totally different story. If cell phones were a little bit more like they they are now, this this story might turn out differently. Like he. He could just upload that sixty minutes onto online, yeah. <laughs> or fi- you know, or leak it to TMZ. Like you know what I mean? Like it could, yeah. You know, but that's but what what I found amazing way... about this movie is that it was it was so the absence of that made it so interesting. Like seeing his, but he still had know, to do go the same around thing. He had to, to leak make around. phone calls to connections and like I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, although I, that may have been in the maybe half hour or so where I felt like this movie was starting to get a little bit little bit too long but 
um, still, that was that was totally interesting. That wouldn't be as interesting today if it was just like, well, I'll show but it's them. The same, it's the same thing. Instead of leaking it to TMZ or having somebody else upload it or finding that, he you know has that conversation with the New York Times and tries to push uh, the Wall Street Journal to hold off on their article or their smear campaign. Like It's all really interesting stuff that still goes on today to try and... Um, manipulate the way we digest media it's really not that far off okay so i'm going to kind of flip this question around now and and chapin we'll start with you since you know this this aspect of filmmaking tends to be what you gravitate to um i mean michael mann kind of runs the gamut in this movie stylistically he's you know handheld static shots close-ups wide shots extreme close-ups extreme over the shoulders crosses the 180 degree line back and forth during dialogue scenes uh the lighting everything like it goes on and on and on and you know i will admit that i think that is what makes this movie uh as good as it is and not just a really interesting story i think it's what transcends this movie um but i still kind of wonder was it all necessary um, that's a good question. Uh, you know, you can imagine with this story as compelling as it is. And Jeremy, I, I, I think it's an interesting. You brought up. It's not really about the story. And I, I think I might agree with you, but we should discuss that further. Um, uh, but this is a compelling story and I think there's compelling characters at it. And I think the writing is so good and the acting is so good. And, you know, stepping away from the way the film is captured visually, it's a very, I think, um, it's it's already a great movie and so why add all these you know why sort of take this interesting visual look at it but i think i mean this movie i feel like is um you know it's 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 sort of the best of michael mann i don't know that it's my favorite of his films but i think the fact that this true story uh is the subject of the film grounds him um and thus allows these like the things you just identified to really shine and be effective um i mean i do think those those qualities that you just listed those those um aesthetic choices really help us kind of understand the mindset of of jeffrey wygan i mean we this is a story about this guy who i think um you know is very introverted and has a lot of sort of internal kind of frustrations and 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 is going through a terrible time in his life um but he's not someone who expresses it very well i mean that's sort of the point of his character and so man uses these these um stylistic choices to really put us in in his in his shoes and um, there, it's done. It's in a, almost more like in his eyes because there's exactly. so many of those shots, literally, where you can see from behind him through his glasses. On yeah, these extreme close-ups. Yeah, like, he's extreme it, over the shoulders. Yeah, that's what I call them. It's yeah. it's kind of it's kind of like what I when I think of this movie, that's the first image that comes to my mind is through mm-hmm. Russell Crowe's glasses. Yeah, the sort of those, and and then kind of like the. You know, Michael. He does this weird thing that 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 just because I I, I know his film so well, where he he's got like the really the the focus of the scene of the scene the character who's the focus of the scene in the foreground you know close to the camera but out of focus and like the background is in focus. Um, oh, he yeah, does it yeah, a lot yeah. in Collateral, um, and 
um, it, it's sort of a weird thing. It's almost like, you know, the, did the cameraman get the focus wrong? Like, what, what's happening here? But it really has this sort of um, strange, makes you feel very strange. Like, one, it's, it's, a, it's, sort of a t- it's sort of a shot that we're familiar with, but, that we're, but, the, but it, in terms of the framing and the way the characters are laid out within that frame, but the focus is on, is on the background. Um, and it just kind of, to me, at least in this film, it, it, it makes you feel like, you know, all these things are around him are sort of closing in on him. Um, and and th- yeah, sorry. I think it makes you look very closely and pay, like be very astute and pay very close attention. I, you know, I think about the scene before he goes to the deposition, like <laughs> we basically kind of just like watch him stand outside for like five minutes like, yeah. with nothing happening. And he's just like, I can't decide what to do. Like I I don't know what and like nothing is happening but you're at that point you are so sucked in that you're just kind of waiting and kind of thinking along with him like Jeremy said like you're you're experiencing this through his eyes and I think the style and the close-ups the handheld work the the rack focuses the lighting I think all attributes to that and I can't point to one or the other or even say how it's exactly doing that but i think it creates a mood and we talked about it a lot last week sort of this hypnotizing feel that sucks you in yeah it's so regardless of what's going on you're you're captivated uh, you know you pointed out lee uh, i don't want to change the subject too much but you pointed out the scene uh, uh, when he's waiting to go on the deposition you know that that is the real uh location that's the real that's the guy that attorney's real house um, and you he know, plays Mike, himself, right? The no, the, the attorney the, general. The the attorney general plays himself, but the guy That's who plays I mean, yeah. the lawyer is, is yeah, he doesn't, right? He's yeah. he's different. Um, but you know, like I, I, there's been a lot written about about Michael Mann and kind of how crazy he is into detail, and I think. Um, you know, recently I've fallen down on the side of it's a little crazy, and I'm not sure. And I'd love to get your opinion on it, Jeremy, since you are a locations manager. But, um, you know, he famously, like, they, they went to some crazy neighborhoods in the Dominican Republic when they were shooting um, uh, 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 Miami, Miami Vice, Vice. And somebody got shot on the location. And, like, he doesn't shoot on sets. And he never shoots on sets. But, like, in this movie, you really, like, feel like you are in in the, in the like, annals of where this stuff happened like the the, the cbs building like looking down over central park like you feel like you're in the middle of new york um i mean i don't know where they were but that in the opening shots um when lowell bergman's going to meet with that yeah yeah, and he opens the the curtains to see where he is and like i mean i think they went to they went they went to the middle east for that exactly i mean they had to right and it's like like, that scene is has nothing to do with this with with the story but it's showing you what this guy does for a living what like what his job is and how kind of uh crazy it can be and you get a sense of where they are and it's like like this is sometimes these extraordinary you know seemingly unsafe and perhaps uh uh, um a little insane um insistence that these filmmakers make sometimes really has a important effect on a film yeah i mean it's interesting i mean well i would obviously first and foremost if it's unsafe there's it's never worth it but i mean if somebody's gonna get shot over it um you know 
Miami Vice is not that good. But uh, <laughs> I like how Jeremy's okay with it as long as it's good. Yeah, well, Jeremy, no. Jeremy's like, I'll take a bullet if the movie's good. But ultimately, if you get that, I mean, that's the whole point of uh, of filming in these locations. That if you can get that feeling that you got Chapin, then it's to- it's totally worth it. I think like it, it may, you know, it's just money. They're going to end up flying a crew to, you know, the Middle East or um, renting a empty floor on in the middle of Times Square. I'm sure that's not cheap, but, yeah, you know, well, not to get us off topic, but since we're talking about it just being money, um, I, I, I mean, we would classify the insider as a bit of a box office bomb, would we not? Absolutely. I mean, $68 million budget, worldwide gross was only $60 million, domestically 28 So <laughs> they're spending all this money on going to the Middle East and, you know, creating these very authentic scenes, and it made for an amazing movie, but... <laughs> but we... at the end of the day, what does it matter to us now, you know? Well, that's a good uh, point. 20 I mean, years later, watching it. The only thing I will say to answer that is that, it. I mean it could in part attribute to the downfall of Michael Mann. I mean, Black Hat was his most recent movie, I think. That was a $70 million budget. I'm looking at it right now. You guys know what that movie made? Yeah, like $4. Like $19 million. So Yeah, I mean, and Ali was a, was a pretty big... Yeah, oh yeah, here's too. Ali is another one. $107 million budget. It made $87 million. So yeah. his, his movies lose money, and we have seen very little of Michael Mann lately, and now... To be fair, his most recent movies haven't been good, but I think we'd all like to see him get back to making some good movies again. Um, you know, Chapin, I know you'd, you'd give an organ for that, but, um, you know, we're saying it's just money. What does it matter to us now? Like, we can look back at The Insider and say this is a great movie, but that's all we have left for Michael Mann. <laughs> Not too bad. I guess that's true, but... I did want to bring up a couple things that I'm curious what you guys thought of. Um, one is the score or the music in it. it, it it's interesting to me that, that around that time they had a lot. There was a bunch of movies like that had that sort of Black Hawk Down. Well, so that's the same. Type. So Lisa Gerard. I looked this up because I was thinking the same thing. Lisa Gerard. Yeah. Um, she worked with Hans Zimmer on on Black Hawk Down and Gladiator. Um, on some of those more like operatic classical um, pieces that did are you feel also like in it, the insider. Do you feel like it fit in this story totally. as I well it. as uh, it does in like Gladiator and Black Hawk Down? Which it, are if more I'm being totally emotional. subjective, I think it works better in this movie than it does in those movies. Mm-hmm. But why? Because I, it's it's the dichotomy of the story compared to the music is. I think is, I think it works i think it works with the the tone and the mood that the that man's style creates like i just mm-hmm. think it, it it's another piece that's sucking you into this movie you know i i think about it in gladiator and in black movies like black hawk down where I, and i like it in those movies and it and it works i'm not discrediting it as much as i'm just you know using it to compare that you know it, it feels like it's more to you know um build up your emotions in those scenes you know like make you tell you how you should be feeling uh in relation to the images on the screen whereas i think it's a piece of the puzzle in the insider i think it works great yeah i mean it's you have to interpret it more in the insider because the if those images on the screen when those that music was playing didn't have that music 
you would you would feel completely different. I mean, it's just like guys, you know, walking along the beach or, you know, basically there's a lot of thinking going on and right. that fills the thinking. That's a really smart way to say it is that you have to interpret it. I think that's really smart. Um, I think Michael Mann is famous for this kind of stuff. I, he, I think somebody, I think it was Black Hat actually, that somebody, a pretty famous composer wrote an entire score for the movie and he threw the whole thing out without telling the guy. Um, but you know, you like, I think I kind of get my sensibility for music for movies from Michael Mann. And like, I, when, when, when the music kind of works too well with the scene, it, you know, it, it, it just feels like background noise. And I think it's nice to, it's nice when, like you said, Jeremy, it, it requires you to think a little bit more and maybe not even, maybe think is, isn't even the right word, but like it, it's, it doesn't quite match exactly. And so that it has this sort of otherworldly feel, which I think is what he was going for here. Yeah, and I I can see why like you can argue that it works better here than like Black Hawk oh, Down yeah, and Gladiator absolutely. for that for that exact reason. Uh, my other question is Russell Crowe in this. What what are your thoughts on him? I think it's a great his, his performance. I think it's a great performance. It's he was nominated for this Gladiator and A Beautiful Mind three years in a row, and he won for Gladiator. To me, I mean, I think this is the best of those three performances. Interesting. I used to love this performance of his, and I still think it's an effective performance, but I, I thought Al Pacino was way better this time around. I, I, could, see, I could see Russell Crowe acting in this. I, saw, I could feel his mannerisms. I could feel like him trying to communicate through the touching of his glasses and the way he moved his head, and it's just something about it felt slightly inauthentic. Like I, I could see him yeah. doing it, whereas Al Pacino felt like he was that guy that he's been doing this for, you know, 30 years being a producer in television and in journalism. And you could feel how much he cared about these, you know, getting it right and, and, and cared about the subjects like Jeffrey Wygant and these people. Well, it's I was more impressed. It's interesting I when, disagree. when we talk about our top five, like to look at like to look at these two performances. They're so they're so different, I think, like conceptually. You know, like yep. Crows is like a more of a traditional performance or what we think of as like a, a an award winning performance. He's someone who like is takes on a, a real life character and, you know, changes his appearance and changes his mannerisms and I think really deeply and is absorbed into that character and changes everything about himself. Um, whereas Al Pacino is kind of doing Al Pacino as Lowell Bergman, right? We don't know Lowell Bergman. We don't. I don't think it's important that he uh, had that same sort of transformation that Russell Crowe has. But you're right. Like, like it doesn't really matter. I mean, you feel like you feel like you're watching Al Pacino, but you feel like he's absolutely the person he says he is. Like he's a yeah. You feel uh, like Al Pacino's been in the news business for thirty years. Yeah, and and. You know he's got those like I I uh, I want I was trying to convince Katie to watch this movie with me and she's like oh, I don't really like Al Pacino and I'm like and I'm, and I'm like you know I, I had to size that's a whole that. other conversation yeah, a whole other fight are right you guys there. still together yeah I know and uh, and I'm like well you know he, he he you know he tones it down here and he but he there are moments a couple moments when he has that explosive Al Pacino energy but it works and it it's sort of grounded in and attached to that same character. That we that he he is. I mean, he, he we're, we never forget it's Al Pacino, but it's it is it's still a very like effective and absorbing performance. 
I mean, I, I sort of disagree a little bit with you guys. I mean, I think Russell Crowe totally loses himself in this role. I was not bothered at all by the the mannerisms, and I never felt like he was acting. Um, that Now, that having been said, I, I think it is possible that it's the third best performance in this movie, Al Pacino being number one, and Christopher Plummer, who, if I picture Mike Wallace, I picture Christopher Plummer and yeah, have since too. I saw this movie. Um, so, and, and he's outstanding in this movie in, as well. And talk about somebody that, you know, we say Russell Crowe is, is you know, imitating a, a real-life character. I mean, Christopher Plummer is, is imitating one that, you know, the entire country and world knows uh, really well. So uh, I think that performance is incredible. I, you know, and Russell Crowe being third in that group is takes nothing away from him. I think he's fantastic in this movie. Um, I also and- think the, those lawyers are so good. And they're they're another example of just like being like sort of invested in somebody being very competent at their job. Like that scene uh, with Bruce, uh, McGill? Bruce yeah. McGill when yeah. he tells them, you know, to wipe the smirk off his face. You're like, it's oh, such a great scene. Yeah, yeah, it's a great scene. And same with the, I guess his name's Calm Four, the other, yeah. the other lawyer. Like it, it's you know, it's just it's nice to see that those sort of performances. They're actually kind of rare in movies. Yeah, top to bottom, you've got you've got some great performances. I mean, you know, it, say what you want about Gina Gershon in this movie. Maybe she's sort of just... Well, who plays Russell Crowe's wife? She's not good. Yeah, Diana Verona. So uh, that's an interesting performance to discuss because I was like, I, 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 during one of the scenes in that movie where she was kind of being a bitch, I, sa- I said to Lydia, I'm like, God, I hate her in this movie. And, you know, you know, Lydia just kind of went into like, well, you know, look at what this character is going through and like you know kind of started to defend her and i was just like okay that almost may be true but like i think we're supposed to hate her and i'm all the, the the whole conversation basically led me to believe that the performance is good i don't think it is i i think she's do you think she overacts it. i don't know mm-hmm. like, yeah i do I, I i do think she overacts and i i think up against everybody else she's <laughs> what are you just eating Cheese. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, I'm just think, you know, but, overact. <laughs> Lee, mark that down on our audition se- sheet gotta, as a point against a, Jeremy. Gotta have a bite Wait. of my cheese. <laughs> is it like a block of cheese? Yeah, it is. That's what I'm picturing. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, what else you guys got for, about this? I mean, I, we all love this movie, right? Nothing changed upon this viewing. Yeah, I mean, or, I, or I, I, I I was sort of struck as to how much this movie is about journalism versus like, you know, it, this movie isn't about like wake up America, you know, yeah. the tobacco Cigarettes industry has been yeah <laughs> has been has been manipulating you. Um, it's it's more about I think you know journalism and and how um, how important journalism can be and how sort of. Um, you know, kind of uh, f- dangerous it can be. I mean, and I don't mean dangerous in the sense that dangerous like bodily harm will come to you, but like that it's kind of a um, it's it's kind of a, a high stakes game, which we don't really think about. And and I think it's it's uh, I, I've been sort of recommending this movie. Like uh, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but like a lot of the work that uh, I that we do um, in my job is like tobacco 
related and a lot of the money funding pro tobacco from, right yeah pro tobacco yeah. <laughs> get anti- people back on cigarettes yeah the anti-tobacco stuff a lot of it comes from the settlement that was featured in this movie um that like um the tobacco co- company settled 250 billion dollar settlement um as a part of this and and the reason that lawyer is so rich is that they got like 900 million dollars as the represent representatives of that case um but anyway so a lot of that money funds this stuff and i went around and i mean you know this is something we study and like we're supposed to be you know know a lot about and like no one had seen this movie it was like this is this is where this oh, is the this heart is, of the, this is the, the textbook issue. yeah yeah and um so it, it, i think it's especially and i think now i mean not that we need to recommend the movie that's what we've been doing the whole time but like i do think it's especially when we're in a sort of political climate where journalism is on the chopping block a little bit and with you know the i think the the internet has changed journalism considerably since right this was made and that that you know it's a real appreciation for this kind of work yeah it goes to show you how important good journalism is absolutely um and i think that's still um i I know we were talking about this movie being dated in ways but i think it also applies even more now than it did then uh, because of the that stuff you just mentioned, Chapin. Because you know you 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 see what can be affected with good, truthful journalism if presented right. Um, so I I think that's that's really important. I mean, yeah, I, I think the biggest praise I can give this movie is that like, I mean, it's two hours and thirty seven minutes long. You know, I, I had I watched it over the course of two nights, which you know happens often. Um, but, you know, and I've seen this movie at least a half a dozen times. Like, it's not like I had to see what was going to happen next. But I just, the first night I was watching it, I got an hour or so in. I just did not want to shut it off. I had to go to bed. But I was, I just didn't want to shut it off. This movie just is so interesting. Yeah. And that's why I opened with that question because I know this story. I've watched this movie. I've seen what Michael Mann does with it. I don't feel that the movie is outdated, but the story within it is outdated as we've been describing. And yet I just did not want to shut it off. It's, it's so good. And for something that's like sort of straight down the line, cause like Sarah came in to, and I was watching it, but she had missed like the first, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes and sat down and watched like a, a couple scenes. And she's like, Oh, so does like Al Pacino work for, um, the tobacco company or is he trying to like screw this guy over like and i'm like no he actually is like that there's nothing there's no twist to these characters there's no secret motives there's no you know anything like that it's just a straight down the line like these are the good guys these are you described before yeah yeah so and which is it's it's rare yeah i think what what's at the heart of the film is the relationship between these two men i mean we're talking about big scale scales we're talking about 60 minutes we're talking about new york journalism and you know big tobacco and at the heart of it is this relationship and they i think eric roth and and michael mann they they never lose sight of that you know it's not the, the movie is never kind of drowned in its own um, largeness, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't get so big, and the stakes don't get so high um, that we ever lose sight of it, and we're we're focused on these two men who are, you know, experiencing on different levels uh, extraordinary circumstances, as you guys said. Yeah, and right, and kind of a, a going off of what Jeremy was just saying about how you know, there's no twist or you know, you know, double cross or anything in this movie. There's also no like <laughs> real, you know, 
rah-rah, like, good, like, feel-good ending either. I mean, these guys aren't really friends. They don't appear to like each other all, all that much. You know, they are colleagues, in a sense. And Russell Crowe's life just goes to shit because of this. No, he was um, named uh, Teacher of the Year in Mississippi in 1996. Yeah, so. That, so turned back around. Um, but yeah, like I, I just think it's it's interesting because like you don't it, it doesn't have any of the conventional things that we're used to seeing in movies that keep you coming back to them. Yet you just keep coming back to this movie. And I think really quickly, I know we keep talking about, but like one more aspect of this movie is the sense of responsibility. And that's also intriguing because for Russell Crowe, the sense of responsibility becomes to get this information out there for a general public. Yeah. He, he feels like he needs to do it. And then for Al Pacino, his sense of responsibility is to Jeffrey Wygant and making sure that this thing he started doesn't absolutely destroy this man's life. I mean, it gets pretty close, but I mean, there's that one scene where you know he's there's it's never mentioned, but there's contemplation of suicide. Um, and I think Al Pacino can feel that burden uh, because he knows he's invested in it, too. And he has that sense of responsibility. So you understand the motives, these deep, important motives that these guys are going through. And that's one of the reasons it never gets boring. You know, I chase down some crews, guys just looking to fuck up, get busted back at you. You must have worked some dipshit crews. I worked all kinds. You see me doing thrill-seeker liquor store hold-ups with a born to lose tattoo on my chest? No, I do not. Right. I am never going back. Then don't take down scores. I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best, trying to stop guys like me. So you never wanted a regular type life? The fuck is that? Barbecues and ball games? Yeah. This regular type life, that your life? My life? No, my life. No, my life's a disaster zone. So our top five we are calling top five which performance was better and basically what we've decided to do is find movies that have two good performances I don't know if you guys limited it to two um, but more than one really great performance uh, we it, tell them tell both those performances and then select which one is better uh, does that make sense did I mm-hmm. describe that uh, adequately. Mm-hmm. So we all uh, had to see the movie. That was the one. So, yeah, definitely, because we all kind of wanted to obviously contribute uh, our thoughts and, if possible, declare a winner. Um, now, needless to say, there's many, many, many movies with more than one good performance in them. So, uh, Chapin, did you have anything to narrow your selections down? Yeah, did- um, I have a lot of choices, and I, I don't really have – I mean, I have them ranked kind of vaguely, but um, – I wanted to both be able to sort of switch out if we have some um, uh, duplicates. And also, I, I kind of rank them in terms of how close I think this yeah. conversation is going to be. In other words, like I wanted the performances to be both very, very good. So it was a hard decision to make. Okay. Yeah, this was actually a tough list for me because it, it was um, it was hard to sort of determine. There's just like 
so many movies with yeah. good performances. So I think I, I what I did was I tried to make the weight of the the characters relatively even, if that makes any sense. Like, you know, it can't be just one minor character and then the the main character. I try to keep it like so. There's a uh, there's a balance like similar to the insider. They sure. they both you know ha- both have lead weighty roles, or roles. Both yeah. equal supporting role or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I also it is a memorial list for me, but I won't say what it is because I'm sure it's going to show up on yours if it's not a memorial. Okay. So Chapin, why don't you kick us off? Number five. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with one of my favorite films um and that's tom hanks and uh denzel washington in philadelphia oh great one this is good it's been a while that was one of your favorite films yeah i didn't realize that because yeah i I haven't seen it i haven't seen that in years you haven't seen it at all lee no i have it's been a long time and so i i thought i this one came to mind but i was like i I don't know which one I'd pick because I haven't seen it in a long enough time. So I got to think about. I'm going to go with bit. the guy that got AIDS. Yeah, the one <laughs> won the Oscar. Go. Yeah, won the Oscar. Got AIDS. I think that's Oscar. fair. <clears throat> Method acting. Um, for me, I I always remember Washington's performance in this film. I think it's it's. Um, I mean, he he's the he has the arc in the film. Um, you know, he changes and has to develop and has, it goes through a lot more. I mean, not more, he doesn't die, but like he, you know, his, his character changes and has to, you know, become more comfortable with gay people. And, um, you know, he, he has sort of the challenges, um, I think. And so, you know, my, I I actually kind of like Denzel Washington better, but, um, so I'm going to, I'm going to go with Denzel Washington. Yes. And and I'll tell you why because while I don't remember this movie really well there is one very specific Isn't he a brilliant scene. actor? Yeah, then he's one of my favorite actors so that helps. But <laughs> there's one very specific scene that I remember and it's when Hanks goes to Denzel Washington to, you know, inquire uh for him to represent him and he they they knew each other from a, you know, a, a previous case or or something I don't remember exactly what it was and Tom Hanks reintroduces himself and, and Denzel Washington's happy to see him and he's just like, hey, how are you? Good. What, what happened to your face? And Tom Hanks says, I very, you know, bluntly says, I have AIDS. And and then there's this very like understated, like not performance-like reaction that Denzel Washington has where he like slowly backs away yeah. in his office. It's a great and, like, scene. Can't get far enough away. And it's it's could have just been so bad, but great actors pull that type of thing off. And that's what I remember from that movie. It's one of the few scenes I do remember. So, you know, Washington pulling that off, uh, is what gives him the edge. So winner Denzel Washington. Yeah. It's too bad. Neither of those uh, actors did really did anything. After Went on movie, to anything. But, no, yeah. It's Sad. Yeah. Tom Hanks is in another one that could be Tom Hanks and Wilson, the volleyball. Yeah. That's a right. close one. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that was my memorial list. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and and we'd all go with Wilson, right? Yeah. <laughs> all right, Jeremy. Uh, my number five is um, is a film that the, both these performances are great. 
I don't know if it, they'd ever be on a pantheon of great performances like when you start thinking about them, but the fact that these two are so head-to-head and weighted against each other really is what makes this movie interesting. Nicholas Cage and, and John Travolta. <laughs> Travolta. Yeah, in Face Off. No, it's Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones in The Oh, Fugitive. that's a really good that's one. That's a really good one. Um, like I said, I tried to find ones that, you know... They they had some equal amount of uh, screen ch- screen time to you know to play with and um, yeah uh, I don't know what else I mean I, I think most people would say that Tommy Lee Jones kind of kind of steals the show here but I think it's it may be Harrison Ford's best performance as well yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say that is this his best performance I mean I, it's hard he's funny like how do is Harrison Ford a great actor. Do we know? Have we decided? I, he, I think he's I like think he's good. I, mean, I think he's good. He's like, yeah, he's like John Wayne. Like he he works for what he he's put the position he's put in. Like I don't <laughs> well, think it anyone thinks to be about getting his family back. But yeah, I don't think anyone thinks John Wayne's a great actor. But he's you know he's a great I, cowboy. I think Harrison Ford is an, an, an underrated art uh, actor, and I think I think he is a great actor. I think I mean you're right. Like he you would he would never play either of those characters in Philadelphia, for example, but like, yep. he's so good. I think he's the best Jack Ryan ever. And he's gone up against, you know, like four or five of, you know, some John Krasinski, Alec Baldwin, <laughs> Chris, what's his name? One of the Chris's, um, and you know, he, but he's also like, he's also, we don't give him enough credit for, you know, creating these, you know, two of some of the most iconic characters in cinema history. And, um, they are, they're, they're similar, but there's subtle differences between it. And I think that subtlety is really important. So are you going Harrison Ford? What are you voting? No, I'm still going to go with Tommy Lee Jones. There's yeah. yeah. As much as I want to kind of play the contrarian with this one and like, you know, create some controversy. I think Tommy Lee Jones is the, is the pick here. Uh, yeah, I think it's the sweep. Okay. So, uh, my number five, uh, as often happens, one came immediately to mind. And so I'm going to have that be my number five also because it's from director Michael Mann. And I know we just spent quite a bit of time talking about him, but Jamie Foxx and Tom Cruise in collateral, um, thought about that one, you know, Jamie Foxx was nominated for best supporting actor in this movie, which makes no goddamn sense because he was clearly the lead here. But if you're opposite Tom Cruise, I guess you are supporting. So, um, you know, this is tough. I think this is uh, either number one or number two in performances for Jamie Foxx for me, um, Django being the other one. And this is up there among Tom Cruise's best for me, too. So I don't know if I'm confident in my answer, but I'm going with Jamie Foxx. Um, you know, I think maybe it has a little bit to do with, you know, how I see those two actors to begin with. And maybe it's more of a surprise to see Jamie Foxx this good, but I think he's amazing in this movie. I'm going Tom Cruise, no doubt about it. Really? The only reason no I doubt. didn't put it on, yeah, the reason I didn't put it on is because I think that it's so weighted one way over the other. Oh, interesting. Uh, I'm not so set on that. I think they they are, it was also on my list, but I'll sub it out for something else. Um, I also think it's a great dynamic duo and hard to pick, but I think I will go with Cruise just because um, I just think that like he never plays a bad guy, um, and when, the first time that he does, when he sort of directs his movie star quality and his 
you know extreme Tom Cruise energy into a character it still has a lot of subtlety to it I mean that's kind of the point of that character right is that he's he's in this cab and and talking about life with this cab driver you know while he's killing people and I think that makes for a really fascinating movie all right so Cruise another accolade (laughs) all right Chapin number four um, okay, I'm gonna. I had it. I had something else at number four, but I think we will discuss it next week. Not to get too, uh, not to talk, give too much away. But um, I'm gonna. So I'm gonna sub that in for uh, a film we talked about yesterday or last week, uh, Casablanca, uh, being Humphrey Bogart and Ingr- Ingrid Bergman. Oh, interesting. Um, you know, I, Bogart is a is an actor. I feel like is a lot like Tom Cruise. I haven't seen a ton of his work, but kind of does the same thing in every movie, but does it really well. But Ingrid Bergman is, is, is more of a real actress, I feel like. And um, so I feel like it's interesting to see them together in a movie. And I feel like they're two kind of uh, powerhouses here. What do you guys think? So I like Ingrid Bergman in Casablanca a lot. I think she's important. I think the performance is great, but I mean, you have to give credit to Humphrey Bogart for basically creating Rick Blaine. I mean, this is one of the most iconic characters ever, and he embodied that and created that and, and made it what it is. And I think that's, you know, that's the the deciding factor for me. Well, after, I, I thought about this movie, but after last week's terrible yeah, do you Casablanca Yeah, do you want to apologize for that, Lee? No, because uh, it's still Lee. a long night. It still fits yeah, the but criteria. Yeah, but the whole idea of that list was like the the story has to revolve around one long night. No, it, it just had to have I mean, a we long have, night We all have it. long nights. I mean, he has this night where, like, one of the most famous scenes in movie history takes place over the course of this long night. Just because it's night? Well, because he's drunk and he's been drinking yeah. all day and all night, and now it's overnight, and he's talking to, talking to Sam about all the gin joints and all the towns and all the world. She stumbles yeah, into mine, not, and then not, not and then the there's another really. There's actually two long nights. It actually works double. It should have been my number one. Then she <laughs> she comes back in the middle of the night, the next night, and and tries to get the letters of transit. It's like says she loves him and basically lies to him and and try just to try to get these letters of transit. Yeah, now you're just describing the plot of the the movie. That's because and they both take place the over whole... the course of long. Look, this is an amazing p- pick. I I it it will be uh it will be further. Um, It'll be further yeah. justified Feedback in our emails. Feedback, your yeah. film fix. I, this is this was a great pick. So, uh, that being said, uh, I got to go with Humphrey Bogart. And that, I mean, it's one of my favorite performances of all time. It's one of my favorite characters. Uh, it's it's hard to top that. Yeah, I'll, I'm gonna go with that too. Okay, uh, Jeremy, you're up. Uh, okay, uh, my number three is. Um, Tim Robbins, Morgan Freeman, Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> huh. Man. Yeah, that's, I, that's my number three, too, but I'll switch it out for something else. I mean, it's just, again, they're in a weird way over the years because this has been become such a fan favorite and iconic movie that these performances are a little bit lost. Um, the, I think especially Tim the, Robbins. Yeah. yeah the, the, the main character. The, like this, the sum of its parts has become bigger than any, you know, anything in this movie. And a lot of that credit goes to these two actors creating these characters. Um, 
so yeah there you go my number four and i i'll let you guys go first because i still gotta decide i'm going freeman morgan freeman uh i'm gonna go with uh with um uh tim robbins just because like i don't really like him as an actor in general but i think this is he's so great in this movie he's kind of an enigma and you kind of have to you kind of have to dig into him a little bit to get see who he becomes. I mean, I, Morgan Freeman is is great, but um, I think I'm going to go with Tim Robbins. Uh, I'm going to go Morgan Freeman. That's a tough one. I mean, it is it is a tough one. That's another. It's definitely a toss. Up. Morgan Fre- that you make a good point, Chape, and and I like Tim Robbins, but Morgan Freeman is so good in everything he does that you know what a surprise he's great in the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, Whereas, you know, Tim Robbins, maybe this is, you know, this is his best work. I, you know, I would, I would argue that that is definitely the case. And, you know, he hasn't been in as many movies and we don't see him as much anymore. And so I think it is definitely an interesting question, but you got to go with Freeman in that movie. Uh, okay. My number four, I have so many good ones here. I don't, I don't know which ones to leave off. Wait, number Um, four, you mean number three? I'm on four. Right? Wait, didn't Jeremy just do number three? No, no I did. I, sorry, I did number four. Yeah, oh. he's. We've all. You uh, guys have only done two. Yep. Okay, my number four. I'm gonna go with John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction. Thought about it. Um, you know, Travolta actually got nominated for an Oscar here. Um, I my pick is Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, it's definitely, I think, a little bit of a bigger role. Um, you know, he's got the monologues and such that he pulls off uh, really well. Um, but, that, that, you know, this certainly isn't to discredit John Travolta, who obviously kind of revived his career a bit with this movie. And he's an, he's an actor a bit like Harrison Ford for me that I, I kind of wonder if he's a good actor or not. Uh, he's been in such garbage, but he's also turned in some really good performances over the course of his career. Um, but the line that, like, it sticks in my head with Travolta in this movie is right at the beginning when he's talking about the the mayonnaise on the French fries and he's just like I've seen him do it man they just drown him in that shit I'm like he pulls it off so well and I'm like he's he is really good in this movie yeah I, I have to actually go Travolta and it's that Tim Robbins uh, effect again I feel like he's not an actor I particularly love in other things and I don't know how great of an actor he really is but the fact that he's so good in this um, gives him the edge for me. Yeah, uh, me as well. Interesting. All right. Chapin, you're up. So I have to restore one of mine because we've gone too many over. Um, and so I'm just going to – we don't. We shouldn't talk too much about it, but uh, uh, it's Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman in The Master. Yeah, that's really good. Can I defer from answering in this sure, case? Sure. Because I, I do want to save that conversation for next week or as soon as we can have that Tarantino. Sure. I mean, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson sure. retrospective. Sure. Yeah, uh, then I will defer as well. Okay, I'll defer as well. We'll get to that later. <laughs> good thing I brought that up. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Tune in. Tune in. That's a good tease for our, for our retrospective. All right, Jeremy. Uh, so my number three, um, 
is an actor that basically inspired this list, I would say, uh, from The Insider. It is Al Pacino in Marlon Brando in oh. The Godfather. Damn it, that was one I was hoping somebody wouldn't steal from me. Yeah, me too. This is so good. Um, let's see. So Brando uh, won the Oscar. Yep. Pacino was nominated for supporting in this case, um, as was everybody else in the goddamn movie. So, <laughs> oh boy, um, it's almost like I'm going you Pacino. Can, you're going Pacino, yep. even though he has a second movie to. Doesn't matter. Whereas it, Brando doesn't. This one, this one yeah, came isn't first. He mo- isn't he more famous in this? He's famously better in the second one, right? Like that's one of the great performances, isn't it? Yeah, but the, what what he does so well in the first one is is his his, his turn, his yeah. change of character. It's like you think about him in that beginning scene with Diane Keaton at the wedding, and you know that's my family, Kay. It's not me. Like it's he's so quiet and like doesn't feel like he belongs there and. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's Pacino. I think this is w- one of his best performances of all time. I thought about doing Pacino versus De Niro in Godfather 2. Um, oh, that would be a good one, too. Well, that could be a good one. Maybe yeah. that's on somebody's list. <laughs> 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 Sorry. Um, yeah, I'm going Pacino. I, I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Brando. I think Pacino is great in this movie, and I agree with you what you guys are saying. I just think Brando, that 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 portrayal is iconic, and it's part of pulp cult, pop culture. And it's such a strange. Like if you think about him, you know, going and like you're, you're given the character of this Don, and and you apply this weird voice and affect to it. I think it's kind of a genius decision, and. Um, makes for that character being, you know, so important to cinema and, to, you know, really to pop culture. Oof. Make, you both make good points, and I've gone back and forth. And it's it's scary because this is obviously the definitive answer to right. this question. Yeah, it's true. Um, but I'll go Brando. Yes. I feel, partly I feel because like I lost. I shouldn't feel like I lost. Pacino Partly lost. because Pacino <laughs> has another movie to, uh, to make it up against De Niro. Yeah, but- Technically, has two other movies. Uh, we'll, yeah, let's we'll not count the third one. one. <laughs> um, okay, my number three, Winslet v. Carey. Kate Winslet, Jim Carey, Eternal Sunshine, Spotless Mind. Ooh, fuck off. Um, Kate Winslet was nominated. Jim Carey was not nominated for this performance. That was my number two, but I will switch it out. That's this is one. really tough. I got to go last because I haven't decided yet. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Carrie, I think. I think again. We we're so used <laughs> you to Winslet. You're not sure. <laughs> yeah, we're so used to Winslet being great that, um, yeah, carrying <laughs> this movie for Carrie was. Uh, I mean, it kind of changed who we thought or what we thought of him as an actor, and I, I think he really nailed it. See, I disagree. I mean, I, I I'm gonna go Carrie as well, but I disagree with you. I I think this was like. This was the, the the third dramatic film he did where he didn't get any get, didn't get the proper recognition. It was like fuck it. After I'm not, I'm not Man doing on the this. Moon and yeah and, and Truman uh, Show, Truman Show, yeah. And um, I also think it's Carrie. I, I yeah, you know, Winslet is somebody who I, I I don't know. Whenever she does an American accent, I don't buy her. I don't know why, but um, I think it it's I think it's Carrie. Um, I'm going Kate Winslet here. Um, 
not that my vote apparently matters because Kerry has has the has the votes. Um, look, this this might be Jim Carrey's best performance, but I don't know that it's my favorite. Um, I really like him in the Truman Show, but I think I could put together an argument that this is Kate Winslet's best performance, and it definitely is my favorite of hers. So put those two things together. I'm going with Kate Winslet. Oof. It's so tough. These are great guys. Like, I honestly, I, now I kind of want to change my vote. I don't know. <laughs> we'll stick with it. There's, these are tough. These are tough. Uh, all right. Chapin. Number Moving two. On to number two. Hopefully we can vote on this one. Okay. The number two is The Silence of the Lambs. Featuring Jodie uh, Foster and Anthony Hopkins. Thought about this one, but I think Anthony Hopkins just, just wins too too easily. I don't think so. See, I don't think so either. I just actually want like so this one I don't I didn't want to put on my list because it was too difficult. <laughs> oh boy, I uh, I think I might I, go Hopkins anyway, but I'm gonna go. Um, uh, not that it matters, but I'm gonna go. Um, I'm gonna go Foster. I think the funny is an, thing is, I think is, it's an iconic performance for both, but um, you know, yeah. I hear like when I think about this movie, I think most people immediately think of Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal mm-hmm. Lecter. I'm the opposite. I actually think of Jodie Foster's character first. Uh, you know, I don't know. Like, for some dumb reason, Southern accents bother the shit out of me in movies, but hers does not. Here, it feels very right and works in the movie. Um, like perfect example, the southern accents in the insider from the lawyers were are really just kind of annoyed me for no reason at all. But they're from the south. I know it makes no sense. I'm not going to try to defend myself here. It just they just do annoy me. Maybe I just don't like southern accents. But um, Jodie Foster's in this movie. Calm for some down. Reason. We won the war, dude. We won it. <laughs> Goddamn Confederates. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it her like her voice like sticks in my head from this movie. But still, I think Hopkins is the winner for me. Okay. All right, Jeremy. All right, I'm gonna switch up my number two, um, and I'm gonna go Robin Williams and Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting. Nothing. Oh wow! Okay. Um, <laughs> Ricketts. No, I, for some reason I heard you say Matt Damon and Ben Affleck in Goodwill Hunting, which was laughable Love at them. first except that Ben Affleck is yeah. actually pretty good in that movie but anyway this is good uh, Matt Damon and Robin Robin Williams, Williams. <laughs> Robin Williams is my pick do I have a reason yes he's better <laughs> <laughs> better at acting <laughs> he's better um, you know what there's still some immaturity to Matt Damon's acting in Goodwill Hunting I think um and the more times I see that movie, kind of the more I see it. Although I like him, he's very charming, and I think he really encapsulates that role. Um, I hate Robin Williams' Boston accent in this movie, so that's point against him, but I still think mm. he um, pulls it off a little bit better. Gosh, yeah, that is a tough one. Um, You've never been out of Boston. Yeah. I haven't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I want to. It's so interesting to think about this, and I love this discussion and this idea because, like, this is this to me is like Robin Williams' standout performance amongst like a a, a career of uh, I think different performances, but mostly comedic ones. But then it's also like sort of the beginning of Matt Damon's career. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, gosh, uh, like I don't, I, I don't know. Has Damon ever been better? Uh, I mean, no, yeah. I, I don't know. Like you could argue maybe the Departed, but I think that he's better in this. Yeah. I don't know, that's that's apples and oranges a bit. It's I mean I guess he is in that movie a lot. But I, I, I want I'm gonna go with Damon, but I, I want I want to understood that if I watched Good Will Hunting right now, I, I might go back to. Um, <laughs> you have to Robin have an Williams. asterisk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I think I think I have to go Robin Williams. Um, I just feel like there's a, a bit more subtlety or or uh, depth to his performance, but. You know, Matt Damon owns that movie. He is that movie. And without him, I, I think that movie could be silly. I mean, really. I mean, a genius Boston janitor, you know, that, uh, you know, he can't figure out his life. It's just, it's a, the plot points are all over the place, but he really, he owns it. I mean, I'm looking at Damon's credits and, you know, it might be his best performance <laughs> i don't know i'm not lo- i'm not finding anything that like jumps out and says yes this is better um so yeah i mean i'm sticking with williams but that's a that might have been our toughest one so far all um, right okay so i am going with russell crowe versus joaquin phoenix in gladiator that's your number um, one no it's my number two Oh, um, I remember. I have some reason, and, and maybe you guys will confirm this, but I've heard a lot about um, people not liking Joaquin Phoenix's performance in this movie. Uh, I think it's aged really well. I think we realize. I, for some, I remember that too. I remember people being like, "That guy's not very good," and I thought initially he was amazing, and then, and then I think now that we know how great of an actor he is, going back to that, you're like, "Oh yeah." Amazing. Yeah, I've always liked him in this. Um, now, Russell Crowe won the Oscar for this, and Chapin, you pointed out that it may have been his worst of the three consecutive performances he had. Um, but what do you think? Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Phoenix on this. Uh, yeah, I I am as well. I think. Um, yeah, I mean, what's a bummer about? Crow winning for this movie is that like it's just it's not um I I don't know I I, I don't feel like he's I feel like he's not do he doesn't have as much to work with with this character I mean I think he's a great actor and like all three of these movies that he was nominated for are are, are great examples of his work um but I I honestly think he's the best in Master and Commander but I obviously have an enormous bias there um so I'm gonna go with Joaquin. Um. Yeah, man. I don't know. I. I. My my brain is telling me Russell Crowe. My heart is telling me Joaquin Phoenix. I don't really know what that means exactly. Why is my heart telling me Joaquin Phoenix is better in Gladiator? But there, I'm gonna go with Crowe only because I just think again, similar to what I was saying about um, Bogart in Casablanca, is as he creates a character here. Um, you know whether he has the most to work with from an acting perspective, especially in comparison to his other work uh, aside, I think, you know, he creates Maximus here and like, you remember him, you remember his journey, you remember his triumph. 
and that's all through Russell Crowe. I mean, it's certainly not through the writing, um, which I could take it or leave it in Gladiator, but um, I think he he does something a little extra with this role. All right, number ones. Number one. I'm up, right? Chapin's up. Oh, okay. Well, my number one was The Godfather, but I'm going to go back to one that I'm actually really interested in. I just didn't think the performances were, like, extraordinary. And that's uh, Michael Mann's Heat, uh, Robert De Niro v. Al Pacino. It's a question I've always had. I don't think either of those performances are, like – I mean, they're great performances. They're just not, like – Among their best, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. I See, so this was my Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Heat memorial list because it's the first thing I thought of. Yeah. It's kind of like the most iconic – <clears throat> duel of acting yep in cinema history <laughs> i think wow you know my 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 gut reaction was de niro um because you know i go to the the conversation they have over coffee okay who who was better in that scene you know and that that's where i kind of lean towards de niro but then i go and i start to think about the side stories for both of them de niro and his love interest and Pacino in his family and the pendulum swings way towards Pacino there. So, you know, I might have to, <laughs> might have to <laughs> just you call it a draw, answer. but no, um, no draws, no draws, no draws allowed. Ah, oh, God damn it. Well, why, we don't you, why don't you let me and Jeremy answer okay. and then you can be the tiebreaker if there's a tie. All right. I'll take that. Um, <sighs> It's obviously a tough one. It's like I said, it's the first thing I thought of. I mean, even trying to like Google this as options, nothing came up. This is the only movie that they ever like had, you know, wrote an article about like yeah. iconic acting, you know, matchup, if right. you may say. Um, and I think uh, I think I have to go with that scene because that scene is what everyone talks about. So I'm going to, I'm going to say De Niro. Hmm. I, I generally like De Niro better as an actor, but I think I'm going to go with Pacino. Um, I, I just think like Mike, like in watching this, watching the insider, I think made me <laughs> those two, like uh, Hannah and, and, and Lowell Bergman are, are a little too similar um, they both, but, yeah, uh, but like I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, I think that Pacino creates a more interesting character, um, and I mean, he kind of goes crazy in those uh, some moments. But like, I like that he does. Like, it works for his character. You know, like you, I feel like he's a, he's the more complex of the two. Um, yeah, big decision here, Lee. Well, You're- you know, I, I was thinking about pieces of this movie and I think you know I think Pacino's character is written better um you know you think about his relationship with you know little Natalie Portman um and you know kind of his his role in the police department searching for this this crew and I think that's written better so I don't want to give Pacino too much credit for that but ultimately I do think I'm gonna go with Pacino here you know kind of those smaller scenes you know when Natalie Portman cuts herself and he gets there and, you know, he's, you know, struggling to, you know, get her to the hospital and say, no, not you, not you. Like, I think about his performance in those scenes and I think there's a, you know, quiet, understated 
bit about Pacino's performance in this that is understated bit about Pacino. Well, that's I was going to say that's totally awesome. juxtaposed with him talking about <laughs> um, having coffee with Macaulay a half an hour ago. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, I'm going with Pacino. Oh boy, I think the insider has. Uh, it's possible. Yeah. Recency bias. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. Well, there you go. All right, Jeremy. You're number one. My number one was already mentioned, and I didn't want to replace it because I was just... All I could... Th- this is even before we decided on this top five. I, I recently rewatched this movie, and all I could think about was just how amazing both of these performances were. And it's Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman in The Master. Okay. Can't, we can't so we can just we can just move on. We'll right. talk about that later. All right. So my number one, um, both are supporting performances. Um, you know, initially, I, of course, I thought of this movie and I thought of the lead actor. And I was trying to say, is anybody worth going head to head with him? But then I was like, you know what? I'm going to go with Ben Kingsley and Ray Fiennes in Schindler's List. Thought about that. Um, Ray Fiennes was nominated for the Oscar here. Um, why not? Um, why not Liam? Neeson. Well, because he's the lead role. Like I felt like it wasn't you weren't on they weren't on the same playing field there. I mean, if you want to do a three-way menage situation here, we could um, you know, and someone <laughs> What a fucked up menage. <laughs> it, it is an incredibly sexy film. It was like eyes wide shut, Schindler's List. <laughs> There's God. a shower scene. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Oh man, that's from a Gervais thing. I'm not that shallow. Yeah. Let's blame Gervais. <laughs> I mean, we literally can blame Gervais for almost anything we say. That's true. All right, come on, guys, back to the the matter at hand here. Ben Kingsley versus Ray Fiennes in Schindler's List. Mm, it's a good. It's a really good question. Um, I mean, I'm just gonna have to go with uh, Ray Fiennes because. I, I often forget Ben Kingsley is in that movie, but he is right. so good. Like he is, I mean, you know, his subtlety is is really the point of that character. Like he he's kind of moving the needle behind the scenes, and um, you know, kind of pushes Oscar Schindler into that thing. You know, without him really knowing it. Right. Um, and so that that character has to be subtle, um, but. I, I do kind of think of Ray Fiennes as, as the ultimate evil in that in that movie, and it's it's again, <laughs> like I said about the black and white, like he kind of makes that movie fun. <laughs> fun makes to it watch. fun. I mean, yeah. you know what I mean? Like he's <laughs> no, totally. You want him to? You want to go back to him? He's interesting. Yeah. Uh, oh boy, good versus evil. This is a this is a yeah. good number one. He's going to say a lot about ourselves here. Ying and Yang. Uh, all right, I'll, I'm going to say Ben Kingsley, just because Fiennes' performance is kind of so extreme that um, I feel like Kingsley plays it closer to the chest and, and has to be more subtle, and it's maybe that's more difficult to do than to just be complete evil. Um but uh, it's tough. So, but I'm gonna go Kingsley. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, my initial reaction was Ray Fiennes, but I think I'm gonna go Kingsley here too because you know the unspoken aspects of his performance are maybe harder to pull off. You know, you think about Ray Fiennes. Obviously, he's evil, but the things that he says that are on the script and his actions that are in the script 
show you that. You know, there's not, I mean, not, this isn't taking anything away from his performance, but he didn't have to do anything, you know, other than, you know, pull the trigger on the prop gun to show that he's, you know, evil. Whereas Kingsley has to convey a lot in this very subtle way, like you mentioned, Chapin. And I think about that final scene where Schindler's breaking down and, you know, saying he could have got more and Kingsley's just saying no, like, you know, you, you did everything you could. And I, you know, it's a very moving scene and powerful scene. And um, I, I think it's, maybe wait a little bit too that you know he Kingsley is overlooked a bit for his performance in this movie so I'm going with Kingsley alright good All list right. Any, anybody else that didn't get mentioned you guys feel like was, was worth it that were some interesting ones we don't have to make our picks but uh, I had Sissy Spacek and Martin Sheen in Badlands okay I had Spacek and Wilkinson in, in the bedroom oh that's a, oh, great that's a one. good one yeah, yeah that's a really good one um, Spacey and Benning American Beauty true i mean there's a lot yeah of course all right so that will wrap things up for this edition of the get your film fix podcast thank you everybody for listening head over to instagram and facebook and like us there go to itunes or wherever you listen to your pod podcasts rate us review us send us emails at feedback at get your film fix podcast.com with top five ideas uh your thoughts on the show whether or not my pick of casablanca last week was brilliant or terrible uh well that's probably not gonna happen um hopefully next week jeremy pta yeah. retrospective i think we're gonna get I think, there i think we can i think we can get there next week all right this is gonna be great because i know chapin's <laughs> got a bust is not on that so um also if you go to instagram and right now uh you can see my block of cheese <laughs> It's a little behind the scenes. Filmfixpodcast.com. Right <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag block of cheese. <laughs>